Hey, we're glad that you're here tonight, and this is our last week of the Reset series. Uh, this is week four, and uh, the, really the title of it is Resetting Your Scope. Uh, we've talked about what it looks like to reset our identity, to reset our focus, and to even reset our mission. And so tonight, we're looking at resetting our scope, and we're going to be looking at uh, how we do that through uh, a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And so if you got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible tonight, we'd love to get you one uh, as you leave. Uh, if you don't have um, one, we would love just to ha give you one that you're really proud of and that you can use to read uh, every day. Uh, if you just forgot it at home, then we're going to share it with you up here on the screen. Uh, Paul is writing uh, to uh, this group of people in Rome, and he has a great desire to see them, but he's busy about the work of the gospel, and he's planting churches, and uh, he is making the name of Christ known among people. And uh, in verse 20 of chapter 15, uh, we're going to dive in and see exactly what it is that he is going to say to them. Paul says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Paul said, everything I've ever done in life has been about what making Christ known. Now, you know that that's not always been the case for Paul because there was a point in time that Paul's story changed. Paul used to be a guy who persecuted the church. He was a guy who actually wanted to smother Christianity and he could do anything he could uh, to stomp out the light that was in the world. Uh, matter of fact, you'll see um, that in Acts uh, chapter 9, he actually has a, an encounter with God, and it changes his life. And from then on, the church begins to flourish and grow because Paul takes it very seriously. And the thing that he takes most serious is about what? Preaching the gospel where what? Christ was not known. Now, there's a couple of things. I, like, I think we could take just this little section, this little subverse right here in 20, and we could camp out there all night. And the reason why is, is because we're okay with the gospel. We're actually okay with Christ being preached, but we struggle to preach Christ where he's not known. We want to preach the name of Christ, but we feel most comfortable when people already have a little bit of a knowledge about Christ. Matter of fact, that's what we're doing all across the world right now. The American church, in so many ways, has become inward-focused. And we're okay with building these big, nice buildings. We're okay with having these inward-focused ministries. But we struggle about making His name known to all nations. Why? Because it means that we have to take a look and we have to take the eyes off of our own church and off of our own ministries and off of our own wants and desires. And one of the things that's actually killing the American church is the inward focus that all churches possess. You may go, well, what's, what's up with Stoneway? Is it any different? No, no, it's not. Because it's very easy for us to become inward focused. It's very easy for us to become exactly what the American church is. And we're not, I mean, it's not like we're not susceptible to that. We are. And so, like, what prevents us from just actually coming inward focus and just beginning to implode rather than explode? The only thing is that Christ is doing a good work among people and that we have to keep the focus external, not just internal. 
And so he preaches the, uh, the gospel where Christ is not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Meaning, he said, isn't it easier to go and to preach the gospel where they've never heard and I don't have to muddle through, I don't have to spend time discounting everything else? He said, what an awesome privilege to go where they've never heard the name of Christ and just begin to teach them about the gospel. What an awesome privilege to leave everything for the cause of Christ. And that's what his mission in life is. Do you know what our mission should be? Brian uh, talked about it last week. He said, our mission in life is to reconcile people to God. Right? That's preaching the gospel, my friends. This is Paul's mission in verse 20. If you want to highlight it, underline it, whatever, it could become your mission. Your mission, my mission in life, should be to reconcile people to God. Well, you mean I shouldn't be like just the, the best dad I can be? Like you, you mean that I, like my job is not just to be the best husband I can be? Like it's not just to grow up in, in the profession that I'm in, like just to work hard? No, all those things are great. But the greatest thing that you can ever do with your life is follow Christ and make his name known among people. That's the greatest thing you could ever do. And I'm convinced that if you do that with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, not only will you be spectacular at preaching the gospel, you'll be a phenomenal husband and dad, and people will love the way that you work in business. See, Christ is the very thing in our life that allows us to model what? Christ-likeness. It's who gives us our identity, our mission, and our focus. Like without Christ, you don't have focus. Matter of fact, you just kind of meander and you roam along and you do whatever you want to do. Christ is what allows you to kind of set your eyes on him and the author, the protector of our faith. And so as you set your eyes on him, he allows you to live in missional living. Why? Because he's important to you. That's the most important thing that you do. But let me ask you a question. Do you honestly think that Christ and the mission of the gospel and his church is the most important thing you do. And that's rhetorical. I'm not like, oh, yeah, amen, brother. No, I'm asking you, is that one of the most important things in your life? If so, who sees it? If so, let me ask you this question. Who's benefited this year from you knowing Christ? Who have you led to the Lord? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? And there's so many of us that we're involved in so many different things. And even me, I'm susceptible to this because I'm involved in ministry. You'd think I'd be pouring into lots of people, right? Leading lots of people to the Lord. But if I'm not careful, I become what? Inward focused. I sit at a desk and I study the Word of God. Or I do business things. We should be what? Making the name of Christ famous. Verse 21 says, rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. You see this? Paul goes back and he quotes the prelude to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the chief Old Testament passage about Christ, the crucifixion, and his atoning sacrifice. It's where he's pierced for our transgressions, where he's spit upon. It's where Isaiah, 700 years earlier, almost to the detail, told you exactly what was going to happen in, with the life of Christ and the death of Christ. Well, Paul goes back and he grabs Isaiah 52 and he says this, Those who were not told about him will see. What will they see? They'll see Isaiah 53. 
They'll see the Messiah crucified. They'll see him pierced for our transgressions. They'll see it. And even though they've not heard, guess what? They'll finally understand. Why? Because Christ, when he's preached, allows us to be enlightened to the gospel and his glorious grace in our lives. And friends, they cannot receive until what? They hear. And so we have to be about the mission of preaching. Matter of fact, I just said 20 is Paul's mission. Do you know what 21 is? It's Christ's mission. 21 is Christ's mission. And so we look at this, and you see that Paul had this great ambition. And then it says in 22, this is why I often have been hindered from coming to you. Now catch this. You get this? You're about to see the me church in the New Testament and the Old Testament. He goes, this is why I've been hindered from coming to you. Now, he's talking to this group of believers in Rome. Now, Rome is this new epicenter. I mean, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of exciting things that are happening. Uh, Christ and the message of the gospel is being preached there. Some churches are growing there, and there's some really cool things happening there. And Paul goes, I would love to come and hang out with you guys. But it's, for, it's because of my mission and Christ's mission that I'm actually hindered from coming to you. And the reason that he doesn't go to Rome is because the Holy Spirit and it just is leading him other places. But do you know why? Like you're going, well, it's some super spiritual reason. No, listen. Are you ready for this? It's profound. The message of God is not preached if all you do is sit around with your church people in the synagogue. The message of Christ is not made known if all you do is hang out with your Christian buddies. So who is it that you're pouring into? Who is it that you're making the name of Christ famous for? And I think so many of us, we get into the church and it's exciting and there's some cool things and we begin to look at it and then guess what? After a time, we get bored. And after we get bored for a while, guess what? We start critiquing ministries. And after we get bored and critiquing ministries, we move to a pastor. And before too long, bored Christians eat themselves. And you know of churches, and I know of churches, that this happened. And you just devour one another. And the only reason why, it has nothing to do with the terrible pastor. It has nothing to do with the kids' ministry. It has everything to do that the people of God have become all about themselves and nothing about the gospel. The greatest challenge that I have as a pastor is keeping life change in front of you. If life change ceases to happen here at our church, you can close the doors. Why? Because I have no desire to take complaints Monday through Friday. The only thing I desire to do is be able to say, look what God has done. Look who God is changing now. And when God stops changing lives, then guess what? All you do is critique everything else. You become inward focused. And Paul says, the very reason I can't come back to you is so it's not a bunch of Christians sitting around critiquing ministry. That's amazing. You don't believe this. Uh, let me just read this in Joshua chapter 18. It's an Old Testament thing. The Jews struggled with it as well. Matter of fact, um, the Lord had given them, uh, the Jews, the promised land. And uh, in Joshua chapter 18, it says, The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh, and they set up the tent of the meeting there. And the country was brought under the control 
But there were still several Israelite tribes who had not received their inheritance. The Lord had seven inheritances that have yet to be claimed by seven tribes. So five tribes had received their inheritance, and seven had just camped at Shiloh, the tabernacle. And guess what? They were cool with just being there. They had no problem with going and getting what God had told them was theirs. And they, what they did is they set up the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, and they just began to hang out and hang out and hang out. And it was awesome. Because they didn't have anything else to do. They just sat around with their little buddies and uh, they talked about what it looked like to be a great Jew and to have all these ceremonial cleansings and all these different things. And God's wanting them to go and what? Conquer and take the land. And finally, Joshua steps up and he says, How long will you wait before you go and take possession of what? The land that the Lord has given to you, the God of your ancestors. He goes, Get up and get going. He's like, quit sitting around thinking about all the things. He basically says this, it's time to break camp and go. Get outside of this place and go get what God has for you. Now I'm thinking, man, that's so true. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what Jesus said um, to the early uh, church and the apostles there. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, what, comes upon you? And you will be my witnesses in what? Jerusalem? Are y'all with me? Judea? Samaria? And what? To the ends of the earth. And so they received this message. And do you know how long it was before the New Testament church actually left Jerusalem? Eight years they received this message, and for eight years, like, could you imagine what it would look like if our church, just three and a half, almost four years into it, were just sitting at 13 people still? Like, you know how miserable that would be? You know how many of you wouldn't even be here? Like, how much life changed? Like, where your marriage would still be, where your family would still be, the fact that your kids still wouldn't be going to church anywhere, like, the gospel hadn't been made real to you, like, you're still exactly where you are. There's a lot of you that you were burned in ministry and other churches, and right now you'd just be sitting at home flipping through the channels, trying to get church that way. And like, could you just imagine what it looked like if we just never broke camp and never finally said it's time to go and, and make the gospel known to people? Do you know why like I refuse to become inward focused? It's because at some point in time you have to realize that it's vibrancy of life change that makes things go. Like, like there's this really like this proverbial ball. You remember on the Goonies, the big old ball that just kind of kept coming at them as they were running through the caves, and you're trying to stay in front of it? That's exactly where I feel like I am all the time. Some of you are like, I've never heard of the Goonies. <laughs> Parents, do not let your kids watch that at my recommendation. But they're running for their lives, and that's where I feel like we are. Even as a leadership team, like I just feel like we're right ahead of the ball and like it's almost about to run over us. And the only thing that keeps us moving and running is life change. The only thing that keeps us moving forward is that we realize that there are a group of people who are not satisfied with keeping the gospel to themselves, but they want to make Jesus known in their lives. Look at 21, uh, 23. He says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when, what? I'm in Spain. He says, my work is about done. 
do you notice something though? He says, only when, like when there's no place for me to work anymore, can I come to you. Do you get this? Like, what happened to the call on our lives for the gospel? Like, here's the deal. Like, I know of many people in ministry, and like when ministry gets tough, and when it's slow and you don't see life change, you start looking at everything around you, and especially when you're comparing yourself to other people, a lot of times you go, well, I'm not, I haven't led anybody to Jesus. I haven't really made a difference at all. Well, look at this person over here, and maybe it's another ministry, or maybe it's somebody in your journey group, and I'm like, I wish I had what they had. And you think that because you're not doing that, it's time to finally just throw up your hands. Well, well Paul never threw up his hands. Like he said, I can't ever come to you in Rome until what? The work is complete, that it's done. Like he doesn't even get to break camp and go home to Rome where he wants to be with some of his brothers until what? All the work is done. And so when the job is done, he goes, then I'll come to you. And then look what he does. He says, but it'll only be for a what? A season. He says, I only get to do it for a moment as I pass through. Look at 24b. He says, I hope to see you while passing through and have what? Have you assist me on the journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while? He goes, I don't plan to stay. Why is that? Like, why Paul, does he desire to go to Rome and hang out with his brothers, but he goes, but I can't stay very long. Like, you remember people, like, I remember, like, if, if I could just kind of get with some of the people that I, I really are, like, I never see the people that we started Stone Point with. Never. I have them, I mean, it's like we high-five each other out in the foyer. and Like, hey, man, it's good to see you. How's your week? That's about the extent of it. Like, all the, like I've started six journey groups over the last four years. Like, what if we would have just stayed with one? And, like you, but, and I don't say that like to, to pat myself on the back or anything. I'm just telling you, like, what would it look like if you made that a constant thing? Like you're like, we're here, and we can't go anywhere else. We've got our 10 people that we're with. Like, do you realize that at some point there's no vibrancy coming in? At some point, you've gotten so much of a holy huddle that you actually exclude everyone else. And what you've done is you've taken the platform in which God has given you, and get this, you've idolized it. And, and there is never an idol in any society that people share. I don't care if it's in a valley in the middle of Sudan. No one shares their idol with other people. They hold it to themselves. God has made himself known among the nations, and he says, I'm throwing a party and anyone's invited. You just have to share the invitation. And what we have done is we have not been like Paul who says, I'm going to come and I'm going to pass through. I'm going to get refreshed and I'm going right back. Meaning, many pastors, many missionaries, many people would rather be on furlough than in the field. Why? Because furlough is easy. The field is difficult. The field is where the work happens, and it's where it's hard. But Paul says, I'm going to stop by, and I'm going to Spain. And you know where Spain was? It was the far western world. Like, it was as far as it went at that point. Like, that's where they thought. Like, Columbus hadn't sailed the ocean blue in what, 14? 92. That hadn't happened. And so they thought that Spain was about the end of it. Matter of fact, there was a 
a city in Spain that was known as a wealthy city. It was a city called Tarshish. And there was a guy in the Old Testament who he was called to go to a place called Nineveh. And he was to go to the Assyrians there in their capital city. And he was to show them what repentance looked like and how they should follow God. And instead, he boarded a boat at Joppa. And guess where he went? The far western world, Tarshish. Isn't it interesting how Paul brings up what Jonah was running from? And he goes, I'm willing to go anywhere, even to the far western world, to expand the kingdom of God. And it's almost like what the Old Testament Jews and even uh, some others had failed to do. Paul says, don't you worry. I'm not going to get caught up meeting with you. I'm going to go tell the world about what Jesus has done. And see, that's a real challenge. Like, what is the challenge? The challenge is, my friends, is that we love each other. Like, I love you guys. Like, I love hanging out with you guys. And I went to a journey group that's not even ours on Friday. We hung out with those people till like 1030 last night. Our kids are falling all over each other, and they're, they're tired. And, I mean, we are just keep hanging out. And, like, I could do that all the time. But if we did that all the time, then there would be so many people who never heard the message of Jesus. And that's why, as friends, like as we understand our identity in Christ, as we focus on his message and what he wants for us, then we, we live by the mission, understanding his total scope in our lives. And the scope of the gospel is not limited to your journey group. It's not limited to this church. It's not limited to this community. It's not limited to this county. The whole world needs to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to stop assuming that someone else is going to take the gospel to them. Because it's not everybody else's job. It's our job. It's your job. And you can't do it if you're sitting around camp having a fun time with all your buddies. Look at 25. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve some people first. So he goes, I'm going to Spain. Before I go to Spain, I wish to come to you. Before I ever come to you, i got to go to Jerusalem. And he goes, I'm going to serve the saints there. And look what he says. For Macedonia and Ahia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Let me give you this picture. Now listen, I'm about to wrap it up, but this is good stuff. The church in Jerusalem was suffering. He's writing to Rome, and the church in Jerusalem is having a difficult time because there's still oppression from Rome. And they're poor, they're beaten up, they're running from their lives. Nero, the emperor of Rome, hates Christians. He wants to do everything in his power to get rid of them. And what he is essentially writing to these people is going, look, as you, as, as you can keep doing what you're doing, he says, there's people in need. And he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Let me give you the picture of Jerusalem. The largest church in Jerusalem is about 300 people. You think that they're all meeting in these big old synagogues. Get this. There is not a single building in Jerusalem dedicated to the church at this time. They all meet in homes. Like, you think you got it rough here at Stone Point. They just meet in this metal building. No, I mean, they're meeting in homes. Out of all the churches that are there in Jerusalem, get this. One probably pastor that was full-time and paid. 
The rest of them, they're losing jobs right and left because of the way. Like they're a part of the movement of Christianity. And so people are, are literally persecuting them. They're losing everything. And then get this, Paul says, but there are some people who have stepped up in the area of Macedon, the Macedonian region. You remember Philippi? The Philippians we just talked about a couple of months ago? They get together. And they get together with a couple of other churches like Berea. And they get together uh, with uh, a few of those people, Thessalonica. And then they actually get together and they partner with some Greek churches, Corinth and Ahia. And you know what they do? They get their money together and they decide to give it to Paul. And they instruct Paul to go, what? To the Jerusalem church and said, they have a need there. Please take this and share it with them and make sure that you provide for them. Did you see the ecumenical faith they had? They decided that it's not simply about them, but it's about making the name of Christ known among all of the nations. You got that? I think so many of us probably relate to the guy on the video who go, I don't give anything, but I'd like to know what everyone else does. I want you to know that, that what Paul is saying here is absolutely huge. 20, 27 tells you why. They, they give as a contribution among the poor, and then 27, and they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. See, I don't think you and I get it. I, I really don't. You have this Bible, and this is a Jewish book. There's one Greek writer, and his name's Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Acts. Other than that, there's 64 Jewish writers. Those Jewish writers came from a nation called Israel, which is what? A Jewish nation. All the prophets in here who spoke of God were what? Jewish people. They spoke to a Jewish nation, hoping that they could turn them. You, you look at all the apostles, all 12 of them. They were Jewish. You look as it culminates into one Savior who was what? Jewish. You look how they got in their holy huddle in Acts chapter 1, and even though they were called to go to Samaria, although they were called to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, they just kind of camped there in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen that they finally got it and started scattering a little bit. I don't know that they got it and they scattered because they understood the gospel as much as they were running for their lives. And it finally took a guy like Paul to step up, and he began to make the gospel known. And because the Jews wouldn't do it, matter of fact, they were stoning their own people like Stephen, it's like the Lord finally said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to share it with people who will follow me. And it was made known to the Gentiles. And see, you and I, we only are a part of this movement called Christianity. You only take on the surname of Christ because he made the gospel available to you. And it was through people like Paul. It was through people like uh, Timothy and Titus. And later, if you're a, a German, it was a guy named Boniface who took the message of hope to Germany. If you were from England, it was a guy named Augustine in about the 7th century who took it to Kent. 
And you look down the line, and you go, Scotland, a guy named Columba. You look at Ireland, there's a guy named, a guy named Patrick there. If you look at Africa, there was like a guy named C.T. Studd and Justin, Robert Morrison in the 18th century. All these guys began to take the gospel, and they made it known to people who had never heard. But it started with a bunch of Jews who began to share with Gentile people. And the message of hope was not contained to just one place, but it moved throughout the world. And it actually expanded westward. And it kept expanding westward. And what's interesting is, is the gospel right now has worked its way west all the way to the Philippines and to China. And if it'll work west just a little bit more, it'll hit the Middle East. And as it hits the Middle East and works just a little bit more west, it'll start right back at its beginning in Jewish nation called Jerusalem. But the thing is, is this, is that you and I have a responsibility. Like, what's the responsibility? Well, friends, maybe you can't go, but you should give. Like, this year, we've dedicated 20% of our budget at Stone Point going directly to missions. 20%. So of the $560,000 that we have budgeted, you can do the math, well over 100000 of it's going directly to missions. Why? Because we have a responsibility to, to share. And if we can't go, we're going we're gonna to give. But listen, we're not content with just sitting right here in our seats and saying, hey, if we can't go, we'll just sit it. No, we've got to be a part of it. And it starts in our lives. It starts right here. And the way that it happens is if you and I understand that the work ahead is for Christ and not for our own. Look how he ends it. <clears throat> So after I've completed this task, that means to seal it. You find like you ever complete a task, and you're like, oh, finally. It's like mowing the yard, guys. You look back on it, you're like, oh, this looks so good. You sealed it. It's done. You can walk in. You can kick off your shoes. You can get you a glass of tea, and you can feel good about yourself. It's done. Paul says, I've done it. I've completed the task, and I've made sure that they've received this contribution, and I will go to Spain and I'll visit you on the way. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in full measure of the blessing of Christ. You know why he's able to come in full measure of the blessing of Christ? Get this. It's only because he's obedient to what Christ has called him to. See, there's so many of us that we wonder, what would it look like to live in the full measure of Christ? Well, you don't get to live in the full measure of Christ unless you're being obedient to Christ in all areas of your life. And one of the greatest areas that you and I should be obedient to is in sharing the message of hope. And there's so many of us in this room that we go, oh my gosh, that's overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. Like, I mean, what do I do? Just invite them to church? What a great way to start. Bake them a, uh, uh, bake them a cake or send them a pie and invite them to church. Bring them on Sunday and take them to lunch afterwards. Saturday and take them to dinner afterwards. Invest in people. Why? Because you know what Christ has done in your life. And you know that the church will never thrive if it eats itself from the inside out. And I've seen churches like that. I've been a part of churches like that. And it's interesting that you can be growing and vibrant and vivacious one day and all of a sudden you look up and all you're doing is chewing each other up and spitting each other out the next day. How does that happen? It happens when you take your eyes off of the gospel 
and the transforming power that it possesses when you share it with people who need the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me kind of wrap up with this, uh, this little phrase here. When you understand your identity in Christ, right? Talked about that week one. Your focus should be on Christ and His purposes. That makes sense to me. As an ambassador of Christ, our mission is to reconcile people to God because His scope was not limited just to the Jew, what? But to all who would follow. Let me close with this story. There was a group of guys uh, who got together, and they were uh, literally overseeing this huge rescue mission sitting on the coast. And there was this big old lighthouse, and there was plenty of room for them to lodge and stay. And their mission was to rescue people and ships as they had gone astray, particularly in the dark times, dark nights and storms where they couldn't see. They were the hope that would be sent out like the Coast Guard to save people and rescue people. The problem with this uh, message, or this, uh, I guess you would say, ministry in a sense, was the fact that they had a lot of time on their hands. They didn't do rescue missions every single night. Matter of fact, it would oftentimes look up and it would be once a week or sometimes even once every couple of weeks. And so they decided that in their spare time, they would actually bring some things into the lodge. And so what did they do? They got a pool table and they brought it in. They got some nice couches where they could sit and dine. And uh, they actually had people start bringing them food and they kind of catered it in. It was a really nice thing. And they actually loved what they did. It was awesome. And they would do a rescue mission on occasion, but before too long, they started looking up and they enjoyed the luxuries that they had in the lodge, all the amenities that were included. And they decided that because of those amenities, they would oftentimes be best just to stay within their own quarters rather than actually going out on a mission and rescuing somebody. Well, as that began to transpire and happen more, there were a handful of people who were just They were indignant against that. And they decided, we cannot stand for what's happened. We were original charter members of this lodge and this rescue mission. And so they go out and they go down the coastline. And guess what? They start a new rescue mission and a new agency. And they build a new lighthouse. And they begin to rescue people all the more. But you look up and a few years go by and they actually get into the same routine. And they actually have their their covenant statement sitting right before them. Like, they have everything that they know they've committed to right before their eyes. Matter of fact, they even got the charter members mapped out on their wall. Like, you can see it. You can see who who, uh, aspired to to do big things. And even though it's it's sitting right in front of them in the dimness of light, like, you see the mission. It wasn't too long before they were, what, bringing in couches, pool tables, And they loved the amenities as well. And it seemed like every few years, a new group would leave indignant about what had happened, and they would start a new organization, only to become what the previous one was. And year after year, people would come in off those shores, and they would hit the rocks to their death, simply because the people were enjoying the amenities. Church, We are hitting a pivotal time in the life of our church where it's not about us. It's not about what the church can give us. 
It's not about the amenities that we should receive. It's not about the kids' ministry. It's not about the rock and band. It's literally about, will you live for Christ? Will you make his name known in your life? Will you live for him? Will he be your focus? Will he be your mission? Because he's given you a new identity. And if so, then that means you should see the scope that the whole world needs to know Jesus. And it means that you'll quit looking inward for the, uh, the amenities. And you'll start looking outward and say, how can I bless people? I'm going to say this last statement. I didn't have it written in my notes, but the Lord just put it on my heart. There are many people that you are content to sit idly by and enjoy the amenities. To listen to the song, to eat the donuts, to drink the coffee. But you're not making God's word, you're not making his name famous at all in your life. This may be, as Matt Chandler says, and a friend shared with me, a space saver message. I don't know. It means, or space maker message. It means some of you might get mad at that. But listen, the bottom line is we don't have time to play. There's too many people that need to know the gospel. And it starts in your neighborhood. It starts right where you are. Look at ways that you can serve in your neighborhood. I was talking to someone just last weekend about a community garden. Plant a garden together. Don't just feed them. Give them food for life. Tell them who Jesus is. Be creative. Get out. Invite people. Be a part of a vibrant, growing church. And don't be content simply to sit and serve in this body, but go out and make his name famous among the nations. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not be inward, but Lord, that we would look outward. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't simply give to things that we like, that we would give to change lives. I pray that we wouldn't serve out of obligation, but we would serve because we want others to hear the message of hope. I pray that we wouldn't hang out where it's comfortable, that we would go to people who are dirty, who are messy, and who have not yet heard the gospel. I pray, Lord, that we would look and we would see ministry around us and opportunities to share the gospel. And I pray that we would not be content um, simply to be people who are served, but rather we would serve because you are the greatest servant of all. Lord, you gave up everything you had through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we may have redemption. And Lord, in that redemption, I pray that we would share our story, that we would make you known in the way that we live our lives, that we would live it, that we would tell it, and Lord, that we would celebrate it. May we remember, Father, that you have thrown a great party, and Lord, that you simply want us to extend the invitation. Father, I love you, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.